God used Paul to heal a lame man, the people decided that he and Barnabas were gods. And of course, they did their best to try and convince them it wasn't true and point them to Jesus. Here's Pastor David. The good things that you have have come from God. He has not left himself without a witness. All good things come from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God has always left a witness of the truth of his existence and, as Paul says here, of his goodness, that he's worshipable. Romans tells us in chapter 1 that there is no excuse, no excuse for those who choose not to worship God, who choose not to follow God, who choose not to do the good. Why is there no excuse? Because everything that we need to know about God to make us seek after him, to make us follow him, we can see through nature. Even in what he's talking about with the rain and the crops, we even in that see a foreshadow of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, and it's really happened this time. And there's tons of witnesses of it. That Jesus came and fulfilled all that God was showing you through nature. You know, he's not going through, as we've seen in these other um, sermons that he does, where he goes, where he's speaking to the Jews, and he goes through this whole history of Israel, showing how it was leading to Jesus, showing how the prophecies were leading to Jesus. He's not talking to people who have that kind of knowledge. So he's hitting them where they're at. With their gods, and he's saying, no, 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 Zeus doesn't control the weather. Zeus, Zeus has never made it rain because Zeus isn't real, but the living God has given it to you because he's good, and you should turn from this stuff to him. Let's read this, uh, verse 18. It says, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Barely keep them, even saying all this stuff. That's not us. There is a real God. Zeus and Hermes are not gods, etc., etc. They still could barely keep them from sacrificing to them. Why don't we see all the people go, oh, okay, we've clearly seen the power of God. This man was healed. We know it's the power of God so much so that we got ourselves in a fervor called you gods, and we're ready to start killing oxen, who, by the way, I'm sure we're very um, relieved that the people found out that they weren't gods, but we're ready to, to, to sacrifice to you, Right? Because we saw the power of God, but then when you say it's something that we don't want it to be, we don't turn to that thing and say, okay, well, now you've explained it. Now we'll go towards Jesus. Instead, it makes it sound like they hung their heads and went home. They could barely restrain them. It's, I mean, if you barely restrain somebody, it means they're kind of like, right? Man, I really wanted it to be this way. Where was the excitedness that they had about seeing this man be healed? Paul had now killed their party. They wanted to have the power they had seen the Holy Spirit exercise in healing this man. They wanted to have that line up with everything else that they wanted to believe so they could continue to be in control of their narrative, of their story, of the way they wanted things to be. It needed to fit in. And when it didn't fit in, they didn't turn towards the truth. They kept their thing and just ignored it. Things are not over for Paul. Um, He gets to have some more fun, as we'll see in the next couple verses. Uh, Let's look and study verse 19 here. It says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Yay, Paul. 
So Paul has now ticked off the local Gentile population there in Lystra by telling them that Barnabas and him were not Zeus and Hermes, right? And, and now, because he's ticked off them, and he ticked off the people in Antioch and Pisidia, and he ticked off the people in Iconium, they're all coming. I mean, they've got to come about 100 miles from Antioch and Pisidia. No cars, just, right, feet and stuff, and about 30 miles from Iconium. So, uh, assumedly, these guys are basically following this path that the gospel is being preached, and they're, they're angry, right? These Jewish guys are angry, and so they come, and they get together with their boys from Iconium, and down to Lystra they go, and they finally find Paul, and when they do, they, they get the multitudes stirred up, and then they stone Paul, and suppose that he's dead. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, I have made people mad in my life, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe. I'm so nice. Um, but I've made people mad, and I don't know if one of them would cross the street to spit at me, let alone walk 100 miles to kill me. Paul has clearly, there's clearly something beyond making somebody a little upset here. There's clearly something driving, driving this, this level of hate right? There's something there. These guys in the city of Lystra were not Jews. They didn't have the same beef that these other guys did. Yet these people who were ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas as gods, just like that, were willing to let the Jews kill Paul. Just like that, right? And, and the Jews probably were the ones throwing the stones, because that was a particular uh, type of execution that was to the Jews. But my guess is all the people in Lystra were there watching, right? Because generally you see something like that going on, you know, like, oh, that's happening again, right? You're going to go over and watch it. They didn't have Netflix, okay? So there wasn't a lot of things to entertain. So they're probably there witnessing these people that we just wanted to call gods and sacrifice to. We're now letting them be killed. Sounds familiar to me. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem at the beginning of the week, they want to say, this is the Messiah, and at the end of the week, they say, crucify him. In the same way, we see people turning that fast, turning that fast, because something has been hit. Something has rubbed up against them in a way that they don't like. And apparently, these guys assume that Paul is dead, Says they suppose that he's dead, which means they jacked him up with stones, Right? I don't know if you've been hit with a rock, but it probably hurts a lot. Um, and they assume that he's dead. So it says in verse 20, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Um, we know that Paul is probably at least unconscious, right? If they thought he was supposed to be dead, that probably means they at least hit him in the head with a stone or two. And the disciples come and they're like, oh, dang, right? And they gather around him. And assumedly, hopefully, they're praying for him. And Paul gets up and goes back into the city and then leaves the next day on a 60-mile journey to Derby. I think that Paul was probably miraculously healed in this situation. That's what I'm thinking. Um, because you don't just get up and walk back to the city after having all those rocks thrown at you, right? All I know is this. I broke my finger when I was in the seventh grade by catching a football. I caught it the wrong way, right? I wish I could say that I broke it. I was tackling some guy and saved a touchdown or something, but actually I was just too awkward and uncoordinated and didn't know how to catch a football right. It wasn't even in the game. I was just playing catch with a guy 
you know, a, a practice or something, and, I'm like, and my finger broke, right? Uh, is that how you guys say playing catch? In Tennessee, I know a guy who says, we, playing catch, what's that? We call it passing ball. And I don't know what that is, but, and this may not bother you, but this is my own thing, so I'm just going to go with it here for a second. So they call a passing ball, which I guess to some extent makes sense because it would make as much sense to call it playing catch as playing throw, which definitely sounds weird. Um, they also say lawyer um, because they say we don't practice loy. Um, I don't know. But this is, this is their issue. I don't know. They'll watch it on the video probably um, and see that they're wrong. Anyway, playing catch. So, um, so I'm playing catch, and I break my finger, and here's the deal. I still can't bend it all the way. Seventh grade was a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was, but it was a long time ago. I threw my back out last week, and I could barely stand up without groaning for most of this week. Paul got hit with stones so much that they assumed he was dead and got up and walked back in the city, and the next day started a 60-mile journey. I'm calling miracle on that. I'm saying that God has done something beyond normal medical science. That's happened in this case, okay? Or maybe I'm just really weak, but I just can't imagine being able to deal with that that way. So it doesn't tell us that it was a miracle, but that's where I'm laying my cards. When I get up to, to heaven, I'm, I'm going to ask him about that. So what is this passage telling us? A lot of things. Well, let's, let's, let's deal with what I was talking about earlier. What is it telling us about getting pushed to the side when you're trying to sack the quarterback? We clearly see two sides here two ways of reacting to the power and the message of Jesus Christ. The people from Lystra, they want to keep worshiping their idols and living in their wicked ways, which allows them to do all kinds of wicked things. And when Jesus and the power of God won't line up with that, they reject it. So much so that they're willing to see Paul killed. The Jewish folks, they want to maintain, they're on the other side. They want to maintain their traditions and their legalisms and the freedom that Christ brings. It's so repugnant to them. The grace that he offers to all people so they don't get to be better than other people is so repugnant to them that they're willing to go 100 miles to kill Paul. He's challenging their biases about the way the world works. And I find it interesting that these two very unlikely groups of people, the Jews who despise these Gentiles, and the Gentiles who probably didn't think that highly of the Jews, both going in different directions, but they were both willing to get together to do away with Jesus. And that's what Satan's always going to want, right? Anything that will take away from glorifying God. Worthless idols vain traditions, he don't care. He don't care. Whatever way he can push you, okay, just don't get to the quarterback. Just don't get to Jesus. Just don't have a line to him. He'll push you to either side. Banish or kill Paul and Barnabas or worship Paul and Barnabas. I don't care. Just don't glorify the name of Jesus because Satan can't handle that because Satan hates joy. That's the bottom line. He hates joy. Following Jesus Christ is freedom and joy. And Satan will always try to turn your freedom into slavery by emphasizing either vain tradition or emphasizing licentiousness, immorality. He'll do one or the other. 
or maybe some third thing, but whatever it is, it won't be about Jesus. Yesterday during our step study, we were watching a, a, a message for part of our study, and he was talking about uh, the prodigal son. And, it, and I was thinking about this sermon while I was watching it, and, and I thought, you know, this is interesting because, of course, there were two sons, right? There were two sons. One was licentious, and he took his father's money, his inheritance, and he went out and wasted it on wine, women, and song, right? And the other one was not licentious. He was at home and bitter because he followed all the rules, followed all the rules and thought that for, for that reason he should have some higher thing. And when he saw the grace that the father was giving to the first son, he couldn't handle it, right? And so as Paul comes to the Jews and preaches Jesus and says, and he has grace for all people, even us, most of whom are Gentiles, that his grace was opened up to us and that we have freedom. We don't have to follow all the parts of the law because he's fulfilled all of that. These folks are like, no way. It takes away the control and power that I have of being above and getting to look down on all these people. I don't like this message. That's the second son. Well, of course, the people in Lystra, they're the first son. I want to keep doing my thing. I want to keep doing it, and I'm not going to go into what went on and what was connected to some of the idol worship that was going down there. But let me just tell you, it puts most of the stuff that we get upset about to shame. It was very licentious. I like that word. Um, so, it's always one way or the other, and God is that Father, right? Who has so much grace that He wants to throw the party. The party is following Christ. The killing the fatty calf, the good wine, the good, the good calf, the, the music, the dancing, the partying, that's Christianity. Right? But Satan wants you to go and either do one thing or the other. Either hit the party up and get so wasted that you overuse and you pervert your freedom in Christ. Or sit outside the party self-righteously judging everybody inside it. But never to just enter into the joy of Jesus Christ. It's hard. It's hard for us because we do have an enemy. But at the same time, it's easy because following Christ is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit, Satan's not even in your way to take you to one side or the other. If you'll stay in the Spirit, he can do nothing to you. But it's hard for us because we, like these folks, want our control. We can follow Christ, a lot of us, for a couple hours on Sunday, for really killing it. We can maybe do a life group or maybe even something else during the week. But we still want to sacrifice to Zeus on Saturday right? We still want to keep some level of control. Giving it all to God is scary. It's scary. Sometimes it's easier to have those rules that help us feel in control. Or it's easier to have that secret sin. At least we control that. All of which do nothing to glorify God and do nothing to bring us into joy. We listen to the world and to our culture about what, is, what, what things cause joy, and we're lied to. And even our cultural heroes show us over and over and over again that having all the things that the commercials and the movies and whatever will tell you will bring joy brings misery, divorce, suicide. 
drug overdoses, death. How is that possible? If what culture is telling you will bring you joy is true, it's not true. You don't have control by hanging on to those things. And when we see legalism, we see that go real ugly too. And so what's the answer? The answer is joy. The answer is your life in Christ is supposed to be joyful. God wants you to have joy. I'm not talking about happiness. That's good. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy, right? That's all good, okay? But happiness is not something you're going to maintain at all times in a fallen world. But joy is. Joy is something you will maintain if you know Jesus and you're pressing into him. Listen to Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that doesn't give you joy, you are missing out and do not understand how awesome and amazing the God we serve is and what it is like and what it feels like to be in his love. I want you to experience life. I want you to go straight to the quarterback. I want you to, to not be pushed to the left or pushed to the right, but to find the straight path. Wherever you are, if you've been pushed, if you know right now, I've kind of been pushed over here. I'm in that kind of licentiousness thing. I got that hidden stuff. Or maybe not even hidden. Maybe it's on Facebook. I don't know. But I got that stuff. Or if you're over here, yeah, I really do find myself looking at that other person's stuff on Facebook and thinking I'm better than them. Whatever it is, wherever, wherever you've been pushed, it's time to adjust, get Jesus in your sight, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and get straight back to him because that is where joy is. That's where joy is. We do it in his power. It's the only way. It's the only way. you got to trust God when he tells you that he will give you joy. I can tell you, Pastor David, that's me, I'm speaking in the third person. I, I have a joyful life. I love it. And I deal with a lot of really difficult stuff just like you do. And I'm not saying it doesn't make me sad. And I'm not saying I don't get discouraged and down and, and whatever sometimes. But my joy is found every time that I look to Jesus Christ and recognize what's waiting for me and what's here for me right now and right here. His love, his grace, what he's done for me, what he's doing in you. Joy. Throw those idols away. Enjoy the freedom and the peace and the hope and the love and the faith that we have in Christ. Please, I want this for you so badly. You don't even understand how badly I want your lives to be full of joy, which is what Christ intends and Scripture is clear about. Sing loud. Love hard. Live. Live. Jesus is the life. And outside of him, that's not life. All those other things, all those other things that we try to control and we think, no, no, it's okay to have this part of Jesus. I'll take that from the buffet but I still need all this other stuff. No, no, no. Drop that nonsense. It's useless. It's useless. You've got to follow him hard. You've got to follow him hard. Don't be on the side of either of these two parties of folks, these Jewish folks or these Gentiles from Lystra that despised each other but agreed on one thing. They didn't want to hear about the name of Jesus Christ. 
Because Satan had turned their hearts to reject joy. Don't. Don't. Following Christ is an awesome adventure. If you haven't begun that adventure, ask me, ask one of our elders, our deacons, our staff, somebody say, how do I get started on this thing? Because I'm telling you that the life in Christ is a life of joy that you will never regret. And eventually, you get to be with him. You get to be with him and you get to experience his love even closer than you can experience it here. Joy is waiting for us. Man, if there's one thing we need, it's joy. And the only way to have it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can have that right now as you simply ask him to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior. And if you still have questions or need help figuring all this out, come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or give us a call at 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.